0: So anyone who reads the Gospels with an open mind, with a fair assessment of what it is that they're reading, will come to a number of different conclusions that would be shared by a whole multitude of people who have made the same journey. If you read the Gospels, you will undoubtedly recognise that the Gospel writers understood that Jesus was both God and man, that He was Saviour and Lord, that He came to declare a word, a revelation from God and about God. And as well as that word, you will see that Jesus comes with the works of the kingdom. All of those things are really not too much up for debate. These would be things that everybody would recognise and and beyond that, if you were to read particularly the Gospel of Luke and then follow it with his second volume, The Acts of the Apostles, you would have to say that the early church demonstrated that they lived out the life of Jesus in a particular way, that they called themselves the way and that in calling themselves The Way, they recognised that Jesus declared His word, demonstrated the works of the kingdom, and came to show us the way that we should relate to God and to others. Now, I think that that would be something that anyone would be able to come to as they read the Scriptures. And over these last few weeks, we've been looking together at what it means to actually understand the way of Jesus. What is it like to be a disciple? And we've tried to immerse ourselves into the text of Scripture to see the ways in which Jesus interacts. And what you notice is that there is a pattern to the way of Jesus. And that pattern is really unmistakable. It's a pattern where Jesus has a three-dimensional life towards His Father in relationship to Him, towards the disciples, His given community, the community that God the Father gave Him. And then beyond that initial community, the world of lost people there in Israel at the time. Jesus lived a three-dimensional life. And that three-dimensional life expressed in the mission and vision of Apex as gathering, growing and going, really is the way that Jesus functioned all the time. He was continuously attending to the relationship with His Father. Again, any fair-minded person reading the text of the New Testament would have to say that Jesus spent an awful lot of time praying. There's no real debate about it. Either you think that this is a false narrative or you would have to say that Jesus, the Son of God, spends a really surprising amount of time in prayer. If you're the Son of God, you'd think, what's the need for all of the discipline in prayer? Surely you've got a kind of hotline. And yet, Jesus really attends to cultivating, to nurturing, to sustaining this relationship in a particular pattern of discipline. He, of course, attends to the relationship with his disciples. He's constantly drawing them closer to himself, using a method of invitation, come follow me, and challenge, go change the world. He's constantly calibrating invitation and challenge and spending his time, inordinate amounts of time, with his disciples. And then beyond that, as if his heartbeat is continuously beating in this threefold fashion as he attends to his relationship with his Father, as he focuses on the relationship with his disciples, he, of course, declares and demonstrates that he has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus always has, a, has an eye to those for whom he had a great depth of compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, the people that surrounded him all the time. So Jesus lives this particular life. Jesus lived this life, a life lived out in three dimensions. The dimensions that we Of course, here at Apex and in your house church and in your homes and in your daily walk with God, you seek to balance these these relationships with the Father, with other believers and with the people who as yet do not know Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. But if we were to dig below the surface, if we were to look a little more carefully we might be able to find some common patterns that on first glance may be lost to us. It's very interesting. Jesus, when he, when he chooses to withdraw, he chooses to withdraw in a solitary kind of way. When he chooses to engage, he engages with a particular kind of person who had a particular kind of expectation. And when he engaged with them, there was something really quite remarkable that very often happened. As we read the passage today, I'd like you to be looking for these three these three dimensions of Jesus' life, and I'd I'd like you to be looking for the particular way in which they're described in this passage. We're going to read from Luke chapter six and verse 12. We see the threefold, the three-dimensional life of Jesus in every part of the gospel. But here in microcosm, in the space of just a few hours, we see them demonstrated and articulated for us to see. Luke chapter six and verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And next week we'll dive more into that last statement of Jesus and how that unfolded in this teaching so familiar to us. But for today, let's just pause and make sure that we understand what this way of Jesus looked like. On this occasion, Jesus actually goes up. Now he does that on, on several occasions and as do the other disciples. In fact, one of the ways in which the people of God described their spiritual life was always to go up. So it didn't matter where you were in the world, whether you were in high mountains or on the plains of the coast, you always went up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem, in terms of the history of the people of God, is the place, as we saw last week, where God's presence was always located. And so there was always a sense in which there was a going up to meet him. But on this occasion, Jesus finds another place, another mountain, and he separates himself as he does on numerous occasions and in a solitary fashion goes up onto the mountain and prays all night. And as he prays all night, it's quite clear that something happens, something that tends to happen when Jesus prays. What happens is that he has revelation because when he comes down from the mountain, he's able to identify who among his great crowd of disciples will be the leaders of those disciples. And as he identified them, he would send out That's what apostle means. He would send out to lead in mission. So Jesus has received revelation in this this moment and in this time. It's interesting. I don't know how many of you have spent whole nights in prayer, I've learned it from my African brothers and sisters over the years, how to be able to sustain such a journey. But I can assure you, by the time you get to the End of the night, you're not thinking about doing ministry. But here's Jesus. He's fully charged up, he's fully resourced, and he's ready to go. He comes down to his disciples on a level place. They've they've looked at the topography of the of the area surrounding Capernaum, and there are amazing locations that it appears were the likely locations of this Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain as some have called it because there in the vicinity of Capernaum, not only are the rocks made of a particular kind of volcanic material that is incredible for its acoustic capacity, but as the land gives way to the water and the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There are perfect acoustic properties where a person speaking with unaided voice could address a huge crowd. They've tested it. You can speak to maybe as many as 20,000 people just by projecting your voice in this particular area. So here's Jesus in this particular location speaking to this crowd of people and he's wanting to disciple them. He's wanting them to understand what it means to be a disciple. And as he comes to them, something incredible happens. The people who are sick suddenly find that they're not sick anymore. The people who are lame, they stop being lame. The people who had withered limbs have renewed limbs. The people who were carrying sicknesses and infections, they no longer had them. The people who, though the medicine of the day would not have been able to tell them, those who were carrying tumors and cancers knew that in themselves they were whole and had been healed. I don't know what it's gonna be like when we go to heaven after the Lord returns. But one of the things I'm really hoping for is a rerun. I wanna have this particular tape rerun again. I mean, there's lots of them that I like to rerun. I'd like to rerun the parting of the Red Sea. And I mean, there's lots of ones that you'd like, you know what I mean? You'd like to see it because I wanna know whether Cecil B. DeMille got it right. (laughs) That's something for the youngsters in the room, Um, because you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Um, but anyway, I'd, 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 I'd like to see, and I'd love to see a rerun of this this moment. Imagine just the look on people's faces as they came into proximity of Jesus and they, they could sense power coming from him and healing them all. What an amazing thing that would have been. Jesus isn't praying for them. Jesus isn't extending a hand towards them. Jesus is just there. And power is coming from him and healing not just some of them, not just the good ones, not just the nice ones, not just the religious or the holy ones, but healing all of them. I mean, some of them must have been thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Of course, nothing. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, blessed are those of you who are poor. Now, as I've said before, the way that Luke writes this word in the original Greek language and that is translated for us into the English word poor doesn't quite convey what it was that Jesus was saying because it's not necessarily the financially poor, although it could include them. But the word that is used here is the word of those who crouch, those who are bent over, those who are broken, those who are needy, those who are, who are weak and failing, that kind of poor. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you're happy if you're poor in these terms because the kingdom of God is yours, you own it. Now, let's just ask ourselves, are these, are these pictures that we see of Jesus on this enormously significant day, a day when he will give definitive teaching that will roll on through the centuries and define cultures for generations, is this pattern something that we can apply to ourselves and learn from? Because, of course, we're, we're seeking to understand the way of Jesus. Well, if there is a pattern that is something for us to adopt, then you would naturally expect that this pattern would be repeated. The Scriptures themselves say that things are established by two or three witnesses. And so you'd hope that Luke would give us two or three occasions where we would see this pattern unfold so that we could really get our arms around it and understand it. Well, it just so happens that since Jesus began his public ministry in Luke chapter four, there have been three such examples. You remember, we started just a few weeks ago with the public ministry of Jesus. We've been in Luke for a while, for those of you who are not familiar with where we are in the Scriptures, but just these last few weeks, we've been looking at the public ministry of Jesus, which begins in Luke's Gospel in chapter four. Jesus is baptised as two young men were baptised this morning in the first service. And as He's praying, the sky is opened above Him The Spirit of God descends upon him in bodily form as a dove, and the voice of the Father booms out. This is my son whom I love, with him I'm very pleased. Jesus, full of the Spirit, leaves the Jordan and goes into the wilderness. And in chapter four, verse 14, we see what happens as Jesus comes out of the wilderness. Jesus goes in full of the Spirit. He comes out full of power. There's power that appears to be a common theme. Jesus comes down from the mountain, chooses 12 disciples, and then power is coming from him and healing them all. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus withdraws to pray in the wilderness. And as he completes his time of prayer in the wilderness, he comes out from the wilderness and the testimony of Luke is that the power of God is upon him. And the first words from Jesus' mouth are these from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Then in chapter five, we see Jesus having moved from Nazareth having been rejected there. He moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. And there in Capernaum, he he begins his ministry in the synagogue and in the home of of Peter. He's calling his first few disciples to him. And it says this in chapter five, verse 16, as as it tells us of the growing fame of Jesus. In Luke chapter five, verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to pray. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The word lonely means dry place, so similar to the wilderness, a place where you're excluded from the usual things that support our life. You're entirely dependent upon God, and there your focus is is holy and and thoroughly on him. And so in chapter four, we see Jesus praying and receiving power. In chapter five, we see Jesus often praying. Fascinatingly, in the next verse that mentions him often withdrawing to pray, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Isn't that interesting? Now we have two things that we perhaps had not seen before. Now we have the upward dimension absolutely defined by the discipline of prayer. And we have the outflow from the life of Jesus appearing to be power. We see it in chapter four, chapter four, verse 14. We see it in chapter five, chapter five, verse 17. Jesus is there with the paralyzed man and the power of the Lord is present for him to heal, but Jesus doesn't heal him as the first priority. Remember, he forgives him his sins. And then, so as to demonstrate his authority to forgive sins, he he heals the man and he gets up and walks out and carries his mat home, the mat that was lowered through the tiled roof in front of Jesus. And then in chapter six that we've just read, Jesus goes up the mountain to pray and comes down the mountain so full and overflowing with power that power is coming from him and healing them all. In the first three chapters of the public ministry of Jesus, we begin to see a pattern of the way of Jesus. Power is something that is released in prayer. Power is something that Jesus seeks and receives in prayer. Power is something that connects with needy people whom Jesus encounters after his prayer. What's interesting is that this subject that I'm just sharing with you now has kind of been lost in the church wars over the last few generations. In the theological battles that have been fought between conservative in quotes Christians and Pentecostal in quotes Christians. And we we take up cudgels against one another and we, we use the verses of scripture as as weapons against one another. And and so often what happens is we we don't see the forest for the tree that's in front of us. If we were to step back from the battles that we might have with people of differing views, if we were to step back and just ask ourselves, what is the pattern, what is the way of Jesus? Then it doesn't matter what your theological position is at the beginning of that observation. What happens is that as you look at the life of Jesus, you have to admit that He is the pattern for our life. And therefore, He defines what it is that we should expect in our life and from our life. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there a similar commitment to prayer in our life as we see in the life of Jesus? He's the Son of God. I don't think he needs to pray a lot. See what I mean? It's not like he's one of us in the sense that He's a sinner, lost and bound in the chains of sin, incapable of reaching out and touching the very courtroom of God. It's not like He's like us, incapable of going before the throne of grace. No, He is able to do all of those things and He's made it possible for us to do those things by His sacrifice on the cross and so He is way and above us. And yet, in his self-emptying, as Paul talks of it in Philippians chapter two, in his choice to become fully human, he engages with what we need to engage with fully, which is a life committed to prayer. Let's be honest, if Jesus is committed to prayer, I mean, I don't think we can get away with it, do you? So ask yourself today, where is prayer in your priorities? Where is a growth of prayer in your lifestyle? There is a way of Jesus. And he shows us the way by living that way. And in living that way, points us to that way. And then ask yourself this. What about all this power? I mean, do you feel like you've got enough power? I'm talking about spiritual power. I don't mean institutional power or financial power or Personal, I mean, I'm talking about spiritual power. Power that kind of counts. You feel like you've got enough of that? Feel like, yeah, I've got plenty. Monday morning, pew, I'm gonna knock it out of the park. I've got anything I see, I'm good. Jesus, in his pattern of prayer, revealed a radical dependency upon the Father that led to a release of power. A release of power that was utterly transformative for the people whose lives he touched. We have to ask ourselves, is there power moving in our lives? Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, You need to be filled with the Spirit. And the way that he writes it suggests that this is a continuous need. This is a continuous reality. This is not something that you get once and then you never need again. Yes, you are regenerate. Your your life is completely born again and transformed when the Spirit of God comes to live within you on the day that you bow your knee to Jesus. But the Spirit will fill you again and again. Jesus went up the mountain to pray and came down the mountain full of the power of the Spirit. Perhaps one of the reasons we have so little power is that we have so little prayer. But how are we to put all this together? Because there is another element that right there in the first three chapters of of Luke's Gospel are so clearly articulated and yet we would miss them if we simply stayed on the usual paths that traverse the landscape of Scripture. In chapter four, Jesus goes into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, comes out of the wilderness full of the power of God. And as he goes to Nazareth and declares that he is full of the Holy Spirit, full of his power, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to preach good news. To who? The poor. In chapter five, Jesus often withdrew to pray and the power of the Lord was present to heal. And he looks at a man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, get up and walk, A poor man, broken by life, bowed down by circumstance. A man who was weakened by his condition. A man who undoubtedly, if you asked him to do something, would fail in the attempt. The poor are the failures. The poor are the weak. The poor are the broken. The poor are those who are bowed down. By life. In chapter six, Jesus comes down from the mountain having prayed all night. He's so full of power, it's overflowing from him. He chooses 12 amongst the disciples and looks at them intently. He looks at the disciples intently and says... Happy. Blessed are you who are poor. You talk to Peter. You say, Peter, are you poor? He said, Well, dunno. I I just got a pretty good kind of windfall. Looks like I've got enough fish for the year. You ask John, he says, well, yeah, we we got the same thing. We're in pretty good shape. You say to them, um, are you homeless? No, we, we're not homeless. Jesus has come to live in our home. Uh, have you, you so you've got food and you've got shelter and, I mean, do you have status? Yeah, yeah. We've got our own fishing boat. I mean, yeah, there's not many people who've got that. So Peter When Jesus looks at you and says, happy are you who are poor, what what does he mean? And he says, well, of course, Jesus has not known me for very long, but he, he knows me enough to know that I fail every day, that I'm not a very strong follower that I'm bowed down by circumstance and I worry all the time. I feel broken many days. I I guess that's what he means by poor. If you'd said it to any of the disciples, they would have understood what it was that Jesus was saying to them. And so we come to ourselves and we have to ask ourselves, are we poor? We're not talking about financial poverty because if we were, it would be impossible for us measured against all of human history to describe ourselves as poor. It'd be very hard for the vast majority of us to describe ourselves as poor if you measure our lives against the people who are living on the planet today. And yet, it's those who know that they're poor who receive the kingdom. It's those who understand their poverty that receive the power. And it's more than likely, those who embrace their poverty who are prepared not to try some other novel method of living the Christian life, but simply following the way of Jesus because they have no better alternative. Does this make sense to anybody in the room? The way of Jesus is so clear Praise. He connects with those who are poor, who know that they're poor. And the power of God is revealed and released. This is only three chapters in. Things are established by two or three witnesses. We're three chapters in and we've already got three clear. Pa- I mean, Is it just me that's seeing this? It seems so patently clear. And of course, as we continue, we're not gonna stay on the same theme every week, it would be boring, but but from time to time, we'll see this pattern re-emerge again and again, and we'll say, this really is the way of Jesus. This really is the way of the early church. This is what the early Christians described as the way. And yet, it seems quite honestly a long way from our experience. It's so simple and yet so profound. And so, we come to the end of a short message this morning. We've had other things that we've had on, you know, we've had the parent commissioning and various other things. What of you and what of me today? My poverty, I'm pretty aware of it. Most days I speak to the Father and say, same brokenness, same struggles, different circumstances, revealing the same weaknesses. I find myself maturing and growing and strengthening in the faith and yet maybe not with the same frequency but with a certain regularity being confronted by my own sinfulness. But maybe I'm alone in the room that understanding. So I know I'm poor. Do you know you're poor? And if you're poor today, do you need to ask God to help you by his spirit to press into the way of Jesus and embrace a life of deepening prayer? And are you, like me, asking God for that deeper life of prayer so that you can receive and embrace something that you know that you don't have? I know I don't have it. The power of God resident now the power of God has changed me. I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm a new creation. But the power of God that goes beyond the new creation into touching others who need that power. I wonder whether you're there today. One of the problems about church is most of it we spend sitting down And there is a problem about the way that human beings kind of get things. If you stay in the same position, it's very difficult for you to kind of change the way in which you anticipate the future might unfold. You have to kind of change something. You have to make an initial step that indicates that this is where I am. So as the band are kind of getting ready to come back up, here's, here's, my, here's my encouragement to you, my counsel to you. If you know today that this way of Jesus in its individual elements or as a whole is something that you need to embrace more fully today, I want you to come right now. Just come on up. At the previous service, I just said to folks during the singing, come up. And that was fine. I asked the Lord in this one and he said, you've gone, come up. So if it's you, then come on. mostly what we'll do is worship kind of at the front because the worship team when the screen that hides them <laughs> is removed they'll, they'll just lead you and it may be you know you're, you're there and you think wrestling and think gosh I don't know it seems a little bit all a bit extreme I guess it is extremes, praying the whole night but wow what a result. I think I'd probably go for that result. Wouldn't you go for that result? So I'm gonna come and stand down there with you guys because I need this as much as you. But, um, but just as they're getting ready, why don't we just kind of move around here because it'd be terrible to jump in the aisle because you know, you need to be under the spout where the glory comes out, don't you? just a joke. It's all right. I don't believe it. I'm just messing with you. But but during the worship, if you'd like to, to join these folks who are saying a particular thing to Jesus as He's been saying a particular thing to them, then you come and join us. Let's pray. Worship team, you just pick up as I pray. Lord, I do pray today that the way of Jesus would be our way that, Lord, you take us higher up the mountain, take us into the heights of prayer, Lord, where we barely need to say a word to know that we're in your presence. Lord, so connect us to your heart that as we return from prayer, we are able to see the poor, that we're able to reach out to them and bring them the message of the kingdom. And Lord, may we so connect with your heart that your power overflows to us and from us. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus.